0: It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome
2: to Car Stuff. I'm
3: Scott Benjamin. Hey everybody, I'm Ben Boland. That's a little bit of a switch-up. Yeah, this episode, in fact, is a little bit of a switch-up for us, or a return to form, if you will.
2: Yeah, is it a switch-up? Because uh, this is our, well, this would be our ninth edition of this type of show, right? This format.
3: Yeah, yeah, this is nuts and bolts, ladies and gentlemen. Listeners who have not heard one of these episodes before, prepare yourself for a short attention span theater of all things automotive. Just about... Everything that we
2: cover, uh, you know, there's either some left-off information
3: from podcasts, yeah.
2: there's uh, there's a little bit of listener mail thrown in here. There's a
3: new development uh,
2: after we publish or something. Yeah, exactly. There's some corrections that we'll make, I guess, along the way. There's mm-hmm. um, just some, I got a couple little surprises I'm going to throw in here, uh, here and there. I've got about four of these things that I want to mention. mm mm-hmm. um, just man it's just a kind of a catch-all show and Uh if you haven't heard one of these episodes before and you want to kind of get an idea of what they feel like before jumping right into this one because not that there's that prerequisite or anything but uh go to go to our rss feed and and search for nuts and bolts and you'll find Mm -hmm. episodes one through 8 there waiting for you and uh,
3: uh they're all chock full of the same sort of stuff
2: exactly yeah
3: so uh Without further ado, let's get into, oh, we should also mention that some of, some of the things that we're going to talk about are things that we think are fascinating or interesting, but not enough to fill an entire podcast. Yeah, there's a couple of those thrown in there as well. And I've got just kind of a
2: a long list of listener requests that I'm going to sprinkle in here. Mm. Um, I do want to, can I, this is how I want to start the show. Okay. A, A correction, my own, my own stupidity, Ben.
3: Oh, well, okay. I,
2: I'm i taking it upon myself to say that I made a mistake that I shouldn't have made, but I, but I did, and it was recent, too. Well, that's a very smart thing <laughs> to do.
3: That's not stupid <laughs> at all. You know
2: when we were talking about pace cars? Yes. And we got to the uh, 2013 edition of the uh, Daytona 500 pace mm-hmm. car, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, it goes from 2006 with Jay Leno all the way through... 2013 with Mark Roos or Reese or whoever that was, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't know who that is. That's a celebrity of some kind, right? It's okay. a celebrity driver. That is, and this isn't quite as bad as it may sound initially, but that is the current president of General Motors North America, Ben. And that company goes through changes like you wouldn't believe, fast recently, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, it's not the the you know the era when management pretty much stayed in place for you know a decade Decades, at a time yeah. yeah exactly so it, it doesn't it's not quite as bad as it sounds And that's the president of gm however president falls about number four on the list of of who's who at gm i guess because there's the ceo and chairman of the board mm-hmm. uh, there's the cfo the gm vice chairman and then the gm north american president who is mark and uh I just didn't keep up with who, the, who's the fourth in line there at GM. So my mistake, I thought it was maybe an actor of some kind, but, uh, it turns out it's the, uh, the president of General Motors. <laughs> well, A name that you would think that we would know. Yeah. But then again, fourth in, fourth in the chain of command and, you know, all the changes. Yeah. It was an easy mistake to make at the time, I guess.
3: Well, I personally, Scott, I'm just so behind on celebrities. I'm always out of the loop when my friends are talking about films or actors i I don't really know me too we've you know we've talked about that in the past when we try to identify actors in certain movies that we recommend yeah and we (laughs) we have no idea so do you feel do you feel a little better with it Uh, off your chest i
2: feel i feel like
3: i've gotten that off my
2: chest i feel better
3: about it now okay and uh it speaks volumes to your character my friend thank you sir okay uh i would like to start after your uh correction here i want to do something that We've never really had the chance to do, and that is to talk about flops, bad cars, uh, lemons. Oh, okay. Uh, because, now, you and I have talked about this before, and we always agreed that it's a little bit too negative to be the, the subject of an entire episode.
2: Yeah, we focused on maybe some flops, right? Or some right. that, you know, they make lists, and, and, you know, who makes the list? That's the other thing is mm-hmm. uh, who's, who's calling this car a flop? Other people will call it a collectible.
3: Yes, yes. And, uh,. <laughs> there's uh there's some great uh there's some great writing here but what i have is a article with the greatest automotive flops of the last 25 years mm. and uh they say that a flop i i appreciated this. this is why i chose this one a flop is not necessarily a bad car uh bad cars can come and go all the time um but flops are something more and it's kind of a perfect storm of bad luck, bad planning and perhaps engineering. Now you said 25 years. That's uh boy, that's
2: that's relatively recent. I right. Mean, because a lot of the lists that you'll see will go back to, you know, the Edsel and they'll go back to uh the, sure. the Pacer yeah. and vehicles like that. So um what have
3: you got? Well, uh what do you think about the Vector, Scott? The Vector, that didn't make the list, <laughs> did it? Yeah, the Vector made What a cool-looking
2: car that is, yeah. Uh
3: yeah, the Vector made the list um and Jeremy Clarkson called it very probably the worst car in the entire world. Oh, man. Okay. There's a, there's, I don't know, there's, there's
2: sort of a cool angle to this thing. I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a neat looking car. It's kind of fun to see one rolled out. Maybe it looks at a, really cool. Maybe at a concourse event or something mm-hmm. like that, where, you know, this
3: prototype comes out, but, um, Man, I don't know. Well, well, the first, the first vector, um, the concept was the W2, and then the first one they sold uh, was the W8, and only um, twenty-two cars were built. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they didn't sell too well. Clarkson is, and and Vector is still around. Clarkson uh, was referring, excuse me, to the Lamborghini powered M12. Okay. Uh, here's another one: the Sterling. The Sterling. Okay. Uh, By that, the first. <laughs> The first sentence says, leave it to the Brits to flopify anything even remotely identifiable as a Honda product, (laughs) (laughs) which is rough. Uh, Chrysler's TC by Maserati. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Now, I had
2: a former boss who spent a lot of time and money restoring a TC to original condition. Restoring. Yes. Okay. And, uh, I mean, he took it to a place where, you know, the guy would work on it at night in his garage. And, you know, every little nut and bolt was polished back to its original polish or original condition. And Mm -hmm. um, a lot of money and time in it. And he loved the car, but I wouldn't have spent a lot of time doing that Maserati. I would have spent it on more like on a a Bora or something like
3: that. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, there was, uh, there's a quotation here, which we're gonna censor because it's not entirely appropriate for all our audience members. Uh, it's a bumper sticker seen on a Chrysler TC by Maserati in Berkeley, California. And it says, my other Maserati is also a piece of um, and so the next one there would be the Subaru SVX. What do you think?
2: Oh, come on.
3: Yeah. This list, I, I've got, I've got <laughs> a real problem with this list.
2: This uh The SVX, that's kind of a cool car. I saw one about a year and a half ago, I think, here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. That was the one with the uh, little half windows,
3: right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But the... uh Unfortunately, they, a lot of people thought the styling was awkward. Okay.
2: You know what? You're right. All of these are cars that just didn't sell too well. Didn't, didn't really. That's the flop. It's yeah. not
3: necessarily that they're bad cars from an engineering okay. perspective, although that could happen, like with the Maserati car. Now I'm getting, I'm a little slow, Ben. No, no, you're, 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 you're a quick, quick person. You're nimble. And, uh, so also let's keep in mind that the SVX was like 25 grand in 92. Yeah. Kind so of expensive for the, for the day. If you're gonna spend that much money, you want to have the perfect car. Um, Jaguar X Type. They say that this um, ah
2: the X Type. Okay, the all wheel drive,
3: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, I buy that.
3: Yeah, uh, don't Chry- see a lot
2: of those around. Right. Chrysler Crossfire. Yeah, I could see that too. Didn't
3: uh, didn't really go anywhere with it. That was a cool design though. Yeah. Uh, our buddy uh, Matt. Who's a co-host of stuff that I want you to know? Drives a Crossfire. You know the uh,
2: the guy with the Maserati that I was telling you about. Yeah, my former boss. He, uh-huh. he had one. He had a Crossfire also oh, when wow. they were brand
3: new. Oh man! Um, so in the second year, of Crossfire production Chrysler resorted to dumping excess inventory on Overstock.com. Mm. Mm, really? Yeah. Uh, then, well, I'll just go through the next ones quickly. Dodge Durango Hybrid, or the Chrysler Aspen Hybrid. Yeah. Okay. Those are too big to be hybrids. Uh, Lincoln Blackwood. Yep, yep. Too expensive for uh, what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your refined taste. Here's a Lincoln yeah. F-150, basically.
2: Yeah, and it had pinstriping, right? It had yeah. like a, a crazy pinstripe design. Not just one pinstripe. I mean, it had pinstriping like a suit, like uh-huh. uh, multiple pinstripes on the back end. It was just
3: kind of, uh it was very expensive. Well, it reminds me of brand dilution ideas, yeah. and it also reminds me of the... Um, the, there's a oh, there's a question here. Should a luxury car maker like Lincoln make a pickup truck? True. That's supposed to get dirty and haul stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, GMC Envoy XUV. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the Chevrolet. Oh, oh, that's the one that the top opened up on, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah, I was, I was working as a contractor for GM at that time and they, and they, we did training videos on that and how to fix that, that thing and that was crazy. Pickup slash
3: S. You, yeah
2: it had uh like a back end that would completely open up, but um there was a trick to it i mean you have mm-hmm. to look that one up to see the operation to to really get it mm-hmm. but uh that
3: was that was trouble for service guys uh and then there's the chevrolet s s r yeah okay I pass it to you. All right, so let's do
2: some uh, some listener email rapid oh, cool. fire here, yeah, yeah. and I won't go through too many of these right now. We'll get back to it maybe. Yeah, um, Gary, uh, Gary from uh, from Facebook says that hey, Gary. Uh, he saw a KTM crossbow that was at Road America uh, recently, and said that after listening to the podcast, he didn't he realized that he shouldn't be calling it expo so uh he he felt uh like he was in the know i guess because of our podcast so how's yeah, that
3: thank you and just to react to that i'm on team gary you can't be blamed for it gary don't beat yourself up yeah uh it it looks like you should say expo it does look like expo
2: instead of crossbow yeah. but uh but glad we could help you out gary so yeah, that's uh, for listening made you look like a good good guy at the track right yeah all right What's so next? here's one from uh, adrian and uh, let's see Adrian uh, suggests kit cars, um and we have a lot of kit Ooh, car fans. that's cool. um Adrian has a replica of a nineteen fifty five Porsche speedster um in the home state of cal- in his home state of California that's registered as a special construction vehicle. However, they're changing around the uh, the rules so that you're not able to register the car uh, based on the 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 donor vehicle. so um, oh. instead of you know it being a uh, special construction vehicle. Um, and it's, you know, it's no longer a 1966 VW Beetle. Uh, they've got this, this new insurance issue that's going on that may, you know, kind of throw things, uh, a, a, throw a twist into this whole thing. So, yeah. um, we'll have to dig into that. But we've got a, a few suggestions here for kit cars. So, mm-hmm. I think, uh, that's one that we're going to follow up on. For sure. Yeah. And we have a listener named Luke that uh, that has mentioned kick cars a few times. And I think Luke is the one with the uh, the car that looks like the Lotus 7. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm not sure what brand of that one uh-huh. is, but uh, I'll have to look that up again. Um, we've got a message messenger from Rudy Smith. Now, Rudy is the guy that told me about um, the Microcar Museum closing.
3: Oh, yeah. Famously
2: famously or infamously, save my butt on seeing that. Rudy's you know, the man. We owe the, you, because that was that was really cool. On the last weekend. Now, he also was the... Uh, the um, suggester, I guess, of the Ed Roth podcast and he wanted to thank us for doing that because oh. we, we uh he said he did a great job with that and that he listened to that over his recent, most current road trip which is about eighty hours of driving Ben. Wow. That's a long road trip. Wow. Eighty hours of driving. So that's a that's a good one. And he had another suggestion, uh Rudy did. Mm-hmm. Um Something about a coal dust powered GM factory built seventy eight Cadillac.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, um, I remember. I remember reading this email. These
2: are these are Cadillacs that are powered by coal dust, and um, man, I'm, I'm going to have to look into that. But I guess there were some uh, other coal dust burning cars that were used during World War Two in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know they got this great big hopper apparatus that uh, where the where like. Uh, I think he mentioned where a rumble seat would be in those early cars. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so
3: we'll, we'll look into that, too, uh, uh, Rudy, because that's interesting. I've got some uh, Tesla news. Okay, what have you got? Uh, well, now you heard – I have a couple of pieces of Tesla news for you, buddy. Uh, now, you heard what ha- I also heard, right? Uh, in I the think news, so. And that is that uh, the electric car company, Tesla, has paid off – it's federal loan. Uh, that's four hundred and sixty-five million dollars. They've paid it off uh, completely and almost a decade early.
2: That is pretty awesome. That's really good. And isn't that the first company that's received a loan in this uh, in this t- uh, this type of loan? The first company to have paid off the loan in full.
3: I believe so. So that's really great. I mean, that's good for them. Now that's because uh, the Model S is just to be completely honest the model S is a hell of a car yeah it's it's
2: kicking ass right now it's selling a lot of cars and mm-hmm. uh we've talked about this before you know I'm you know me I'm not a hybrid fan I'm not an electric fan I do like the Tesla design. I really do. I like I like the Roadster, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, there's some great things about that. I'll, I I really like seeing the S on the, the S model on the road. It's a beautiful car. Yeah. So uh, so I say good for Tesla. That's excellent. I and hope they keep I hope they keep going this way.
3: Yeah, and you know that I am uh, often skeptical about hybrids, but I love I love the idea of a viable electric car that you know, that doesn't have some of the same problems. You know, I'm, I'm so cheap, man. I'm hesitant to buy mm-hmm. a new technology until I see that it has been proven, you know. It's a good-looking car. It is a good-looking car. I better start saving my, my pennies. Was but, it Motor Trend Car of the Year, I think? Is that the one? Yeah, or was consumer, it, uh, it,
2: yeah consumer, consumer Automotive. Consumer Automotive gave it, uh, well, 10 out of 10 or something like that. Yeah, that and things? they had
3: we talked about that because they had some quotation on there in their review where they said, is this the best car ever? Uh, we don't know, but it's pretty close. It's the best one they've ever tested, right? Yeah. Best car yeah, that's they've ever tested, saying.
2: which is amazing for, you know, cons- uh, consumer reports to say something like that. So, um, a couple more emails? Yeah, Do a couple that more real emails. quick. Okay. So, we've got one here from uh, Richard and uh Richard wrote in about um the Bond car. Um he oh this is Richard the uh, the guy with the, the drove the 1936 Rolls remember the uh oh, um, yeah. you remember that story about how uh, the prom yeah the prom and yeah. he, how he had a hard time keeping it on the road because <laughs> he was on the right hand side driving and yeah, yeah that whole mix up That's a good that was, story that was funny um he saw the uh, the bond car at the 2012 uh Los Angeles California show uh, the car show the uh uh, DB8, uh, Yeah, that's the one, I think, with the um, the machine guns below the headlights and mm-hmm. the bullet holes in the windshield and all that stuff. You know, so the Ben Hurst style uh, mm-hmm. wheel skis that come <laughs> out, those are so cool. Yeah. But uh, he sent us some good photos of that. So thank you, um, Richard, for that. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, here's an, just a quick one. And this yeah. is a, actually just a mention I want to make. Uh, this guy is a uh, mail carrier um, from West Virginia. His name is Eric Stone. And he says he's a mail carrier that listens to our podcast while he carries mail. Um, always enjoys it. And he just saw a list of, uh, really, a list that he thought we would like. It's called 11 of the baddest cars from classic movies. And that sounds right up our alley. So I did yeah. take a look at the list and Ben, it's, a, it's a good list. So we should maybe sometime revisit yep. our movie car podcast because this one had some fantastic ideas in it. So thank mm-hmm. you, Eric. I appreciate it. And, uh, I don't know. Stay uh, stay dry out there carrying yeah. the mail. I don't know. What do you say? Stay cool?
3: Yeah. It's careful. summertime. Yeah. And uh, thank you for bringing the mail. I think that uh, think that mail carriers don't get the credit they deserve. Absolutely. To be honest with you. and so thank you, uh, Eric. And you know us too well, man, if you called the movie car thing. Um, may I interject with the other piece of Tesla news? Yes. Why not? Okay. So Tesla hasn't just paid off their loan early. They have also hired aston martin's vehicle engineering leader so they hired a chief engineer of vehicle engineering from aston martin chris porritt to be their new vp of engineering so he's the guy who uh was chief engineer for aston martin's 177 supercar Mm -hmm. uh, oh very nice yeah. yeah and he's been doing this for um 25 years I'm sorry, this being automotive engineering. Sure. And, uh, he joined Aston Martin in 97. Um, that's where he brought the engineering stuff in-house. Uh, they also did some of the architecture for DB9s, the V12 Vantage. Um, he was at Land Rover before that and, uh, I think that that is sort of a not to read too much into it, Scott, but Mm -hmm. that's kind of a statement of intent, isn't it?
2: Definitely, yeah. So uh, they're they're making plans for the future there. That's for sure.
3: Yeah, I don't think we're going to see Tesla in a bond in a bond car uh... role yet no probably not i mean they can't they can't mess with the aston Martins. no i think
2: that's got to. that's got to remain a tradition so um, all right yeah what's next? this is i've got one of these uh... one of these little facts here that i want to bring you throughout the podcast now i've got four of these that i want to uh, mention. and this is number one this is number one right here um... I guess we'll just call it like little known Carfax or something like that, oh, I guess. Because cool. there's a few things here and there that are kind of interesting that I've gathered up along the way. Now, we talked about Grand Prix cars, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we talked about Formula One cars. This goes back to the Grand Prix racers. Um, specifically, uh, the Auto Union race cars that I mentioned that I love so much, the uh, 1934 to 1938 Auto, Un- Auto Union cars um if you need to take a, a look at the photo of those things they're, they're gorgeous they're like uh, a great big tube where the driver's at the front and huge like mm-hmm. supercharged v16 in the back so these enormous engines right now they're extremely complicated machines as you can imagine um but just how complicated ben this is uh this is where this little fact oh. comes in oh
3: yeah i'm sorry that's my part i know that.
2: how complicated are they uh, <laughs> thank you <laughs> the uh this is like a 70s game show um <laughs> so complicated that the crank now imagine this the crankshaft alone just the crankshafts of the bottom end of the engine normally a single single piece a single item a monolithic design over 1000 parts alone in the crankshaft in I the know, crankshaft and and I know a lot of listeners are scratching their head right now thinking <laughs> There's no way. How how yeah. could you construct a crankshaft? Now this is a V16, mm-hmm. an enormous enormous engine, huge supercharged engine. Mm-hmm. But the crankshaft alone, which again in most modern cars is a single piece design, it's either forged, it's either uh, cast, or right. maybe even sometimes machined from like a big billet piece of uh, steel mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, some you know some can be assembled from a couple pieces, but not 1,000 pieces, Ben. This is over a thousand pieces. In just the crankshaft, so I thought that was something that uh, was worth mentioning because I don't think a lot of listeners probably know that. I had no idea, and I'm a fan of that type of car.
3: Yeah, I did not know that it's, at all. That's extremely complicated. That is little known. I'd love to uh, see some schematics.
2: I I have seen something similar, to that nothing detailed, of course. I mean, okay. there's nothing that really lays it all out because I don't think there's any kind of owner's manual for, or I mean, shop manual for this type type of mm-hmm. vehicle. It's more like, um, you know, here's a shot of it and You can't quite get an an idea of exactly where all the 1,000 pieces lay in that design. Right.
3: There's no 1,000 crankshaft pieces for dummies. No,
2: No, nothing like that. But uh, still, I thought that was a cool fact.
3: Uh, And I've got some uh, cool things here. Uh, Some of our Facebook uh, fans wrote in with us. Uh, Bruce wrote in to say, uh, on the subject of loophole vehicles, I can name a couple that the great state of Alabama allows. Hmm. And these are some things with law, okay? So, uh, one, says Bruce, the earliest you can legally drive a car alone is 16, but you can get a motorcycle license at 15 as long as it's under 200 cc. Ah, not bad. That's relatively small for motorcycle, but it is powerful enough to get in some serious mischief. And then number two, if both your parents are legally blind, you can get a full driver's license at 15, which, if you think about it, makes sense
0: and what's next. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the General. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, oh, yeah. and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the black effect podcast network, iHeartRadio radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right.
3: I think because that, that makes you know, you're helping sense. your parents. Yeah, sure. And that's uh that, that was, I think uh, a great thing to um, bring up. I uh, want to thank Bruce for that. Also, I believe we already, we already mentioned Aaron Cooper's earlier, um, earlier note about golf carts as loophole vehicles yeah i
2: think we did yeah so yeah. the
3: loophole vehicle stuff uh goes back to our swedish a tractors episode which was a lot of fun to do that was fun um i've got something here from uh glenn beck uh i don't know wait wait, wait. From yeah glenn Beck. see we were talking about this glenn i hope you're listening because we were trying to figure out if you were that glenn beck it's uh, probably
2: not that glenn beck but it's uh it's the glenn beck the car stuff listener
3: yeah, that's that's the Glenn Beck you are to us, buddy. And uh, either way, we're thrilled that you're listening to the show. Uh, so Glenn writes to us and says, I haven't heard you discuss gimmick road rallies for charity. I'm sure there are several organizations that do this sort of thing. Here's some info on one I've become involved with. The group is Rally North America, and the rally format is a three-day scavenger hunt on wheels by 80 teams of enthusiasts and their rides. Each day includes an off-road activity, a dozen scenic or historic checkpoints, a few hundred miles of some of North America's most scenic highways, and then they also have uh, a lot of performance cars in there. Uh, there are... All, there's a range of cars. He says, you know, they've got Mustangs, Corvettes, uh, Vipers, but they also have Corvairs, Escorts, Prius, even a smart car. Mm-hmm. Uh, speeding's discouraged. Um, and so he's making a point here with, um, the, the ultimate end game of the Rally New England. Uh, it is, to raise eighty thousand dollars for a place called Camp Sunshine, and the mission of Camp Sunshine is to provide professional assistance and respite for a terminally ill child and their immediate family.
2: Oh, very good cause. Now you said he he wanted to raise eighty thousand this year for this camp. Now you think that's an awful lot of money for a, a charity road rally to to raise, but the previous year they raised seventy thousand dollars for a um, um, the Accelerated Cure Project for Multiple Scler- Sclerosis. So right. uh, this is a, 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 a tried and true um uh, method for them to raise money for great causes and uh, it's not anything like a uh it's not like a cannonball run you know under under the uh under the law type thing (laughs) this is uh this is all on the level and as they mentioned you know there's speedings discouraged and you know it's Mm -hmm. it's all on board you know it's all on on top level i guess
3: oh he also wanted to uh give him a shout out and let's do let's go ahead and do this uh Glenn, a big shout out to you, uh, in your 2006 Legend Lime Mustang GT uh and go team Limer um thank you for writing us such an inspiring uh suggestion and i really would love to cover charity rallies in the future
2: very cool i hope some of our listeners look into that and and maybe make a donation or even participate so that would yeah. be uh, that'd be a lot of fun what do you got oh uh, see boy what don't i have i've got a ton <laughs> of stuff here we've got uh something from Simon Burke who's uh from again we've talked about Simon before we've had yeah. uh, he's even made some suggestions here but um uh, oh A tractors
3: that was yep, his I that think. was
2: Simon um from OMA. Uh north ireland
3: mm-hmm. i think and i'm saying that right I, again oma. as we said last time thank you for telling us how to pronounce yeah. that
2: oma north ireland um he talks about the runaway diesel and he's had first-hand experience with this um and the way that he handles it is he has stalled the engine um let's see when the runaway starts you turn the key off so that the car is off or you know it will be off right um, dip the clutch select the highest gear you have and instead of trying to accelerate like normal you stand as hard as you can on the brake and then release the clutch and uh and that's the other way. So I had mentioned uh mm-hmm. you starve it for air. Right. And that works, but that's
3: an extremely dangerous thing to do because you have to get reach under the hood. Like that YouTube um, video of the guy who has the engine just mounted. Yeah. Just an open air engine not attached to anything. Yeah and it starts to have the diesel run- runaway problem, and then he just stuffs that rag in it. He's quick enough to
2: think to put a, I think he could put a piece of wood over it or That's something. That's right, that, yeah. Uh, eventually sucked that thing into it, too, because it was uh, a lot of power. But um, anyways, he said the idea is to stall the engine, and you can do this from inside the cab, which is uh, much better than actually reaching your arms and face under there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you again, Simon. appreciate that. Um, John Headley, Headley. Uh-huh. Healy, I think it is, uh, mentions that there's a correlation with Yenko, Corvair, and sleeper cars. Now, Ben, I think we may have talked about this one already in the past because um, we talked about uh, um, the Corvair, of course, and I yes. think long, not long after that, we talked about uh, John's email here. But there's something here that we didn't mention um, is that there's a a kind of a new version of. You know, these, uh, these old sleeper cars that people could order from the factory. Oh, right. Um, it's the Copo Camaro. Mm -hmm. And the Copo Camaro is something that Chevy is offering right now. Um, that stands for something. There's a, uh, like, customer order. I'll I'll come up with it in a second here, but, um, Mm -hmm. oh, central office production order is what it is. That stands for Copo. And, uh, it's basically a drag racing car that you can order through the factory. And I went to see one of these at a dealership recently yeah. and took some photos of it. And it was really, really cool. But um, in addition to the Copo Camaro that he mentions, there's several of these things that he's got here. Now, kit cars is one that we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, car manufacturers that didn't make it but still built amazing cars. Uh, so, like, maybe some that were briefly in production. Uh, okay. Very, very brief yeah, production. Yeah, yeah. Um, offline production manufacturers, um, and he's got several listed here, like um, SLP for the SS Camaro and Firehawk for GM. AMG that builds Mercedes-Benz cars. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see, rough for Porsche. Anything Shelby touched, which I think we've talked about already. But, right. um And also Roush for Ford. So that's a good list. So thank you, John, for that. And,
3: um, hey, uh, what's another little-known car fact?
2: Oh, yeah, I've got one here that, uh, you know, we we're just just now mentioning Ford, so how about this one? Okay. Uh, I was watching a television show not long ago. It was like the ultimate uh List of something, right? It was like the ultimate rally car is the ultimate this. Uh, this is a rally car that they mentioned during this program, and I wrote down this real quickly, um, just because I couldn't believe it when I heard it, and then I read up on it later and it's true. Um, the Ford RS200, which is a rally car made by Ford, um, a while back. I don't know if they're still, I don't think they're still building this, but, Mm -hmm. um, Ben, this is like on the order of like a, uh, almost like an escort sized body, okay? Okay. So the Ford Escort. Yeah. And, now, the engine for this rally car is tuned to about a thousand horsepower. So they've got this massive amount of horsepower out of this car, right? Mm-hmm. Um, extreme amount. And the problem with this has been that when you push a car to that limit, you've got it running on that ragged of an edge. Yeah. Um, at full power when you're, when you're, you know, rally racing, um, you can only expect about 10 hours of engine life before it needs a complete engine rebuild. So if you're going to buy one of these for a project or, you know, as a toy, yeah. Expect about ten hours of hard driving out of it before you have to completely rebuild the engine, and that's not a cheap endeavor. Um, I don't have any numbers on the price of, the, of you know what that is because it goes up every year right. as parts become more and more scarce and you mm-hmm. know the, the labor and everything goes up. But um, I can imagine that after ten hours of use mm-hmm. of your of your project car, your toy, uh, rebuilding the engine every ten hours—that's in the neighborhood of like um, like
3: Formula One cars that have to be rebuilt every two races or, yeah. or whatever that was. So. I've got, uh, some upcoming events. Okay. All right. Uh, so I'm, let me see. Let's go with July. We want to keep this far enough in advance that people can still make it. Okay. The Concours d'Elegance of America is, uh, having its 35th annual iteration in Plymouth, Michigan, uh, July 28th. Hmm. And, uh, for listeners who are familiar with this, Yes, go if you can make it. Of mm-hmm. course, and uh, for listeners who are not familiar with the Concours d'élégance, uh, we're just going to give you a brief teaser for our episode on the Concours. Um, and I guess Scott, that teaser would be: uh, imagine the best car show you could ever see with the um, best antique cars ever,
2: the widest selection, and uh, and the top of the game of their game. I mean, mm-hmm. these are these are the best of the best. Uh cars that are by invite only yes um so concourse events now this one's in plymouth michigan i've never heard of one there because i i lived in a town that was like i mean literally i think on the border mm-hmm. with plymouth it was northville michigan um for maybe four or five years i lived there they never had one in plymouth so
3: yeah so um, i mean they're they're traveling definitely think,
2: so. definitely get to that one if you've got an opportunity if you're anywhere nearby that's you know it's even a half a day's drive uh concourse show is definitely worth going to. And we've talked about going to, we're here in Atlanta, and we've talked yeah. about going to the Amelia Island show, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's a decent drive, but,
3: man, I would still consider that completely worth it. Right, because this gives people a chance to see up close and in real life vehicles that, honestly you will have no other chance of seeing
2: no no i still i still remember clearly specific Mm -hmm. vehicles that i saw at 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 concourse shows at meadowbrook in michigan Mm -hmm. and uh i i really would like to travel and go to see some of these other shows just for the different location uh but man every year it's a different show so you know make time to go do this
3: and i've got one more uh event uh also in michigan okay i didn't plan it this way sorry these are just both very interesting Mm -hmm. um there's an antique and collective fe- collectible festival at Midland, Michigan Fairgrounds, July 20th through 21st. Uh, and this is important because it's a huge auto parts swap meet. Hmm. Uh, so if you are a listener who is in that area looking for hard to find parts uh, or just wants to go network and see a lot of show Now, these cars are not going to be Concorde cars. Of course, it's your but typical swap meet. It's your typical swap meet, but you could find some awesome car parts. And what better way to prepare than to uh, check out our episodes on? <laughs> Do you know, like Scott, you're cracking up at my shameless plug. <laughs> uh, it worked. Than to check out our uh, our episodes on how to find hard to find car parts. Um, you know, I could yeah. take
2: some of our own advice here right now. Anyways, I'm having some trouble with my project car. Yeah. I mean, oh, we uh, need an update. on I, it. Well, I'm just having a little trouble finding some trim parts and things like mm-hmm. that that I need. I need a rear bumper. If anybody's listening, <laughs> um, yeah, but seriously, like it's uh, it's it's harder than you might think when you've got a car that's you know neighboring on the uh, 45 years old, 50 years old. Um, it's hard to find parts that now, are it... still in good condition. And and around here, it seems like everything is from you know like 1996 on is what they carry in the junkyard, right it or not? Now you're and, uh,
3: driving to Newport, or you're uh, well, rebuilding
2: a Newport. I would like to be driving my Newport. It's a '67 Newport, and uh, and I again I'm having some trouble finding some uh, some little parts here and there. And I've done all the appropriate searches and everything, but I need to get in contact with uh, I need to get in contact with a guy that knows a guy, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> so you know it has to be uh, word of mouth now at this point I think because I'm just not going to find the part readily available. So now, uh,
3: we, some setbacks. We have a uh, we have a listener uh, that I'll I'll read this uh, Facebook comment from a, a listener that we'll call uh, P-H and uh, here's why okay uh, it's very mysterious well here's why I just I don't want to tread on any toes here uh, it's a the letter begins good morning guys long time listener in fact I wrote to you once before regarding your podcast on antique license plates I had a beater 1983 pickup with antique tags on it you were nice enough to give me a pseudonym when you discussed it on the podcast so uh, I don't want to yes. you know maybe we should just stick with that um Anyway, the truck's gone. It's been replaced by a 1969 International Harvester Scout 800A. It's my project car. It's sucking up more time and money than I'd care to admit. But it got me thinking, says PH, that International Harvester might be a cool podcast topic. If that's too narrow, then perhaps one on early SUVs in general, like Scouts, Land Rovers, Broncos, etc., There have been several articles out lately saying that these might be the next hot collectibles. Mm -hmm. And this got, this got me thinking. And there's an auto blog link there too. Um, so thank you, PH, for writing to us. And it, it did get me thinking the, there's so many, uh, SUV models that came out, you know, concurrently. Yeah. And they may well be these huge collections. Can you imagine going to an antique SUV show? Well, can I tell you something interesting about this? Yeah. Because I, I've got this
2: one right in front of me now, the same yeah. note. I was going to read it. Um, I wrote back to PH, and uh, and just by sheer coincidence, Ben, the day that he wrote this letter to us, the Ooh. very day, yeah. um, that morning, in traffic, I followed a, an International Scout Model 80. Now, his is an 800, which is a, a step up yeah. uh, And the later model. This is an earlier model, the first model, Model 80, and it was really in rough shape, but it was a beautiful-looking car. I mean, it had a really cool shape to it and neat mm-hmm. front end and everything, and the owner was just as happy as could be to drive this thing. <laughs> you could tell. I mean, it looked like a lot of fun, and if he says, and if if PH here says that, you know, this may be the next hot collectible, um, and people are saying that I'm kind of excited by this because I, I like these old, you know, like the Ford Bronco and um, you know the uh, the old Land Rovers and Range yeah. Rovers and uh, I'm sorry, Land Rovers rather. The old jeeps and, are cool, man. Yeah, the old jeeps, like the military jeeps, Ooh. and um, I got a letter here in just a minute. I want to read about military jeeps, but um, yeah, that, I think that's really cool. I hope I hope he's right about this yes i do too uh do you want to jump into that letter or yeah there... why not I'm, yeah. um bob from ohio wrote me uh, uh-huh. not long ago i wrote us i should say and he says that he's been listening to his show in, in um listening to our show in his garage in ohio while he's doing some cool upgrades to his 1953 willy's cj3b jeep a willy yeah it's a willy yeah yeah so it's a willy's jeep and um he's adding a period three-point hitch, including hydraulics to run it, and a variable speed governor. So that's his uh, recent projects. Uh, but he thought that we could do a, a show on uh, post-war Jeeps um, in that how they were marketed as an alternative to farm tractors for a lot of people. Now, we had talked mm-hmm. about Model T being, uh, you know, one of these utilitarian vehicles that people, you know, would hook up sawmills to and all that sure, stuff, right? yeah. Well, they were saying that, you know, these would be an alternative to farm tractors. Uh, for some people after the war is what they marketed them as. So, um, there's an incredible line of accessories that were available for post war Jeeps that, um, that Bob thinks that we should maybe cover. And, uh, I don't, I don't think that's a bad idea. Now, he care. also mentions that he has a, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him a plug here. Okay. Um, he does a, uh, he has a project that's, uh, that has f- photography from abandoned cars from the Midwest and that uh, which, really cool. which is really cool because you know you've got a lot of rust going on up in that type of region so these abandoned cars it's called uh the project is called broken down heroes and you can search broken down heroes calendar mm-hmm. and get a calendar you can buy it right from uh bob from ohio who is a car stuff listener so thank you bob i appreciate yeah, it and i hope right you get to some us. uh hope you get some sales out of it because uh and i looked at the site i looked at some of these photos uh-huh. and you can order them as prints or whatever and um Man, some of these, some of these would be really cool to have prints hanging on, you know, either on our cubicle walls
3: or on, uh, you know, maybe even at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got something here that I wanted to point out as oh, well, a little that? commemorative thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott, it has been sixty years since Chevy unveiled the Corvette. Wow! That's and so uh, it's still the longest running production model in GM history. So I just wanted to point, like, I'm not going anywhere years. with yeah, that. Yeah, that's a long yeah.
2: time. And, and of course the pace car for this year is Indy 500. Mm-hmm. Um, the new Stingray that they just released, which is right. a really cool design. And you mentioned that it had some crazy new V8 motor that, uh, is not available to the public
3: as of yet. Yeah, but it will be coming back. That is a, uh, V8 made in Tonawanda, New York, I believe. Yeah, I think and, you're right. and it is, um, it's interesting because in our pace car episodes, we, do mention, more so in our most recent one, that this is an opportunity for a lot of manufacturers to showcase their new products to the public. Mm-hmm. So it's not at all abnormal for a pace car to have some of the newfangled engines yeah, and, and things not, like that. Not
2: quite available
3: to the public yet, but it will be later in the year, like maybe in the fall or something. Right, like exactly. It should be the same year. And this also, um I wanted to point out that in in, in response to uh, Bob's comment, just mm-hmm. the name Willie brought me back. Uh, Heming's classic car has—it's a print magazine um, that I read. That I have the copy of it now, mm-hmm. stretched out in front of me. Um, there is a great article on Willie's post-war passenger car efforts. So um, it's that's a perfect fit. Willie's styling. Um, now, as you know, during World War II, uh, a lot of car companies had some difficult times they had stops in production yeah uh a lot of companies did not survive the interwar years between world war one and world war Two, and then um a lot when that when that market came back um it was difficult to figure out to some degree what the american public wanted to buy mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of other companies um also hit the chopping block, unfortunately. But there's this great article with some great drawings, some original clay models Ooh. of uh, Willie's designs. Very nice. That didn't quite make it. So if you guys get a chance to uh, check it out, uh, please do. I'm going to see if I can find a link to this online, and if I do, I'm I'm going to post it.
2: Yeah, at the Hemmings blog or something like that. There's a, there's always a link to their their feature stories. So, so
3: I think we should do a podcast on
2: Willie's. You know that's saying? a that's a very Willys good styling. idea. All right, I'm going to do a couple here, just rapid fire, because I get a lot of um I get a lot of these from Facebook. I get a lot of them from email and all right. over the place. And rather than reading through a lot of these emails, now I've got a few more that I want to cover later. But okay, um, how about just some rapid fire like topic suggestions? Quick, yeah, just quick ones. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Curtis Rice wrote in and said that. Uh, he wanted to see something about the Allegheny steel car, which is a uh, – I had never heard of it, but it's a really, really cool design, and you won't believe it when you see it. Um, a Facebook suggestion from Brad Bray, who wanted to, to hear about cafe racers. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. There's the, um, the Carmen Ghia suggestion from Isaac
3: Salgado. Oh, that's awesome. Isaac, uh, my family had a Carmen Ghia. Uh long time ago. Really? That's yeah, a cool I was one. too young to drive it. I've
2: always enjoyed that design. That's a really yeah. cool one. So then there's uh, Tesla Motors, which we talked about earlier, and that was yeah. from uh, Christopher Manns, who wrote in via email. Um Let's see. There's police cars from uh, someone named Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Then we've got, uh, there's the 1953 Le Mans Jaguar team story, which is, I don't know, this is kind of just more like um urban legend myth type thing that we need uh-huh. to clear up. And uh, that was from, uh, oh, that was from Fast
3: Sandy. Oh, hey, Fast Sandy. Yeah. Good yeah. to hear from you.
2: We're a fan of him. <laughs> remember? <laughs> yes. Uh, I so, know. okay. So, <laughs> so, uh, there's also Iron Curtain Cars. That was a suggestion from Harold Eck. Oh, I love, I love a good foreign <coughs> car. Man. Iron, Iron Curtain Cars. So we're talking about like the Yugo and the mm-hmm. Skoda and the, mm-hmm. uh, Tatra, um, mm-hmm. Travant. Um, a lot of different cars there. So, uh, Street Legal Bumper Cars. And that was a suggestion from Joshua Baker. Um, 10 most influential people in the motoring world. That's from Richard Morgan. Oh, that's tough to make that list. <clears throat> yeah, that's a tough one. Um, let's see. Pontiac's overhead cam, six cylinder engine. Uh, that goes way back to the 60s. Uh, really? that's John, John DeLorean's idea, as a matter of fact, way ahead of its time. And that was from Joseph, uh, Farias. Uh, Farias, I think. I don't know how to say the last name, but Joseph, thank you. Um, ele- early electric cars. Uh, listener suggestion from, uh, Kevin Loving, uh, uh-huh. from Facebook. Early electric cars.
3: That's a, that's a really good like, point there, Kevin. This is going back to like Baker electric car mm-hmm. and, uh, the De- Detroit electric car company. Exactly. This is something that we've talked about before, Scott. So many people don't know how far back electric car technology goes. Now, I mean, clearly, I'm, I'm more inclined to be a fan of it once we get the pieces working correctly. Mm-hmm. But I think what a lot of people don't consider is that, for some time in the very beginning of the automotive industry, there there were quite a few people who pinned their hopes on electric vehicles. Absolutely, it was steam,
2: Mm -hmm. then it was electric, and then it was internal combustion. Yep. And uh, they kind of duked it out there for a while, and then eventually, you know, internal combustion won over. But Mm. uh, but yeah, steam, electric, internal combustion, and uh, and we've we've talked about that at, at. at pretty good length in the past, but yeah. um to focus on a couple of early electric cars, mm-hmm. that's a that's a great idea. So um, you know, thanks again, Kevin. I appreciate that one. And, um, man, i just, again, quickly. Yeah, yeah, sorry.
3: I didn't mean to. Oh, you. that's
2: all right. Quickly. Um, V8 Supercar Series. Cool. Uh, Dallas Lee from Australia wants to hear about that. And, and just more Australian market cars in general. He would like to hear about, of course, which, yeah. uh, I think there's something there with the, uh, the Sport Ute vehicles because they're,
3: yeah, they're cool. so, they're
2: really popular over there and they're not as popular here. Mm-hmm. Um, Suzuki cars. Uh, the good and the bad, I guess, maybe, from, uh, Mauricia Garcia. Um, driving controversy on, the, you know what? That's my own thing. Never mind. I didn't mean to read that out loud. But there's <laughs> uh, controversial moves that drivers have made during races. Now we talked about. Um, this is my own. It's not a listener suggestion. That's fine. I'm still we, writing it We up. talked about uh, last laps. You know that were great,
3: and you know, we had some mm-hmm. audio.
2: You know, clips in with that, and that was really cool. It was a fun one to do.
3: And we had some controversial moves in there, like the the passes on the turn.
2: Yeah, some of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So moves were within that, but uh, this is more like controversial moves in the, within the race that don't have to be in the last lap. That could be in you know anywhere within the race. Okay. Um, whether they were foolhardy or whether they were uh, heroic. I guess oh, okay. is a, yeah, yeah, is the way to put it. So I've got a few examples here that you know I'm not going to read right now, but uh, that's something I'm kind of working on in the, on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, the MG uh, Company History by George uh, George Campbell wanted to hear that, and he's from Sydney, Australia as well, uh, listener from Sydney. Um, so thank you, George, for that. Uh, Delahaye History, uh, Tim Cleary wanted to hear about Delahaye History. And uh, let's see, we've done a lot of these, Ben, but yeah. Moto, MotoGP, Nice. um from uh, Paul Redcoat Clark because awesome. so thank you Paul. Uh so the MotoGP uh series is something uh-huh. we'll talk about in the future I promise. Um uh, I've got some I've got something here for you.
3: Man, that's a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, so so we've got uh, we've got, got a
4: lot
2: wait, of stuff. Wait just before real quick. Yeah maybe listeners will get an idea like why sometimes when they suggest something it takes a little while to get it into the rotation and uh, you know because this is just part of the list that we get all the time yeah so uh great suggestions and we try to get through them as quickly as we can so we're, we're working on all of these we
3: we have a lot of fun with this stuff too um i wanted to uh i wanted to point out something uh back to back to bob's uh statement about willies and the uh jeeps here uh the post-war jeeps there's a great little mention here 1950 to 51 the willys jeepster um it was called one of the trendiest vehicles to come along in years uh it has a two-wheel drive convertible version of the larger more comfortable jeep station wagon Hmm. um and it has some features that are that that are striking, uh, like the cut down doors are kind of reminiscent of European sports car fashion um, of the of the same time, mm-hmm. and uh, it's got a seventy two horsepower four cylinder or a seventy five horsepower straight six, um, and this was this was uh, a car that was that was very versatile. But I'm g- I'm going to show this to you because once you get a, a picture of this. This looks pretty long. Is it? Th- this one right here, yeah, right? The Jeepster? right,
2: yeah. Now, I had a friend in high school that had a Jeepster that was uh not this year, not this make and model, but it was a, it, I'm sorry, it was this make and model, it was a, a Willie's Jeepster, it was a Jeepster and um he and his father worked on as a restoration project and it was the coolest car in our high school parking lot i'll tell you that yeah it's really really neat i mean it was well done and uh, they did a great job with it you know he did the right thing every winter and oiled the whole bottom of the car and mm-hmm. you know it never never got any rust on it at all it was, a, it was a gorgeous car up until the point when we graduated i don't know what happened after that but um you know what that looks like a fun car to drive and you know who else likes to drive ben
0: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Store on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the General. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right.
2: Number three here on my list, because I've already gone through two. We did mm-hmm. the 1,000-piece uh, crankshaft. crankshaft. We did the uh, the Ford RS200, which requires a new engine every 10 hours. Yes. That's ridiculous. And that's hours, not miles. Hours, yeah. Yeah. Um, Number 3 here on my list is the uh the 1930 blower Bentley. Now this is funny because this ties back into remember the uh the the uh, was the Fast Lady? Is that yeah, the, the, yeah. the the uh one that we keep it, it keeps coming up, Ben. It keeps coming up in our conversations, right? Uh-huh. That uh that kind of funny movie, um British comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Um get this, that now The top speed of of these uh, these cars was 137 miles per hour of these 1930 Bloor Bentleys. Obviously, it's a supercharged car. Um, There was also a non supercharged version. Um, But the the supercharged versions were, according to um, Auto Week in a 2007 article, the supercharged versions were fragile and thirsty cars. (laughs) And uh, it's something you wouldn't really think about. Um, Now, Boy, this is where it gets a little bit confusing. Fragile now, and thirsty. Fragile and thirsty. Yes, that's right. And the non-supercharged versions, they got about 15 miles per gallon from a 4.5 liter engine, right? Mm-hmm. And these are big, you know, huge cars, very squared off. There's not really anything aerodynamic about them at all. They're just very powerful cars. Um, the supercharged version, the one that I'm talking about here, these blower Bentleys, is again, 4.5 liter, same engine, but it's supercharged. Three miles per gallon, Ben, is what they what they achieved on the track wow so at speed you know on race form or whatever three miles per gallon is what they did so they were they were not so great for racing long distances uh in races like Le Mans which you know astute listeners maybe say wait a minute I know a little something about Bentley history and uh Bentley (laughs) cars actually won Le Mans in 1924 26 27 28 and 29 however those were not the blower Bentley versions. Those were the standard Bentley versions. Uh, now the blower Bentleys, they just weren't made for that type of race in that type of uh,
3: environment. Yeah, I don't know if uh, "achieved" is the right word to use <laughs> with three, what, 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 um, three miles per gallon. Three miles
2: per gallon, and, and that was in 1930. Now, you know, 15 miles per gallon isn't great either, but that sure tops three miles per gallon. Cheapers. And, and there was some recent news about you know the, these cars are still owned by Bentley. The, the motor company. Yeah. And, uh, the, the two of these cars are being, uh, brought out for this year's, uh, Mio Miglia race, which is the 1,000 mile race that happens mm-hmm. in Italy. And it's kind of like a, uh, commemorative race, really, at this point. A, um, it's not the true race that happened, um, in the, like, 1920 through 1957. Mm-hmm. 1927 through 57, I think it was. Um, and by the way, that race, they said, brought out as many as five million people to the roadside to watch Whoa. those cars. Five million because it's a 1,000-mile race that went from Brescia to Rome and then from Rome back to Brescia. And Mm -hmm. five million people would line the roads during that race from 1927 to 1957.
3: You know what I just realized? We're going to have to come back and do another Nuts and Bolts. I
2: think we're going to have to. There's
3: no way we can get through all this stuff. I I just want to do uh, – I only have two more things. I want one of them to be last, because I think it's really cool. Okay. okay. And then tell
2: you what, I'll hit you with this number four thing. Okay. We've done an awful lot of listener mail, but we are going to have to come back and do more. We get so much great listener mail. Keep that yeah. up, guys. It, it's really, really good.
3: And, uh, a, a lot of the, a lot of the stories are really, really good points and, and, uh, also, uh, hilarious. Yeah, that prom some, story Still, we get some
2: good stories, and we get some good photos too. You know, a lot of people send in photos of their projects or of uh, you know mm-hmm. them, you know, again driving the uh, the 1936 Rolls to prom. I mean, we've yeah. got a photo of that car. Um, we've got all kinds of really good, you know, good stuff that comes from our listeners, and we want that to keep pouring in. We really enjoy yeah. the suggestions. We really enjoy the stories, the anecdotes. You know, telling mm-hmm. us when we're right, when we're wrong
3: mm-hmm. about something. Uh, we we appreciate it all. We're not. We're not above being wrong. We admit our mistakes. <laughs> I uh, often am. So just a uh, just a little piece of trivia to uh, to sandwich between our little-known car facts here. Um, oh, sidebar, Scott. Um, factoid is something that is commonly believed to be true, but is not actually true. Hmm. So whenever you hear somebody say factoid, they might be saying, they might mean fact. So I'm I'm lying to you understand. Well, yeah, it's like a it's like something that every it, kind of like an old wives' tale. How about almost. I'm lying to you but I don't mean to. Right. Yeah, it's it's like a uh, it's it's not <laughs> purposely lying. It's just it's misinformation, not disinformation. Understood. This, however, is a fact and not a factoid. Um an F1 car experiences so much downforce that it could theoretically drive upside down at only 105 miles an hour. Or 170 kilometers. Okay. Is that a fact or is that a factoid? Because that's never actually been done. You are correct, sir. And I'm so, I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you pointed out. This is theoretically, this is based on calculations of the design and the power of an F1. And we know that they, uh, generate tremendous downforce, but. Is it enough downforce to to do this? And if so, why hasn't anyone tried it? All right, I've seen some clever commercials that have shown
2: cars that have gone like you know up and around and over cars and tunnels and things yeah. like that. Right now, we haven't actually seen anybody do this and test this and, and actually make it work. I kind of think, I, I really do think that somebody's probably working on this as a stunt that may happen in uh, you know let's say ten years from now. Somebody mm-hmm. may put this into practice and, and literally do this as a stunt, as a, as a trick to show yeah. that it can be done with an F1. Cut. Like a proof of concept. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, they say it can be done. The numbers say it can be done. I'm going to try this and we're going to, we're going to lay this out, you know, mathematically, statistically, yeah. make it work so that it's relatively safe for the driver and everybody involved. And we're going to film it and we're going to show it and it's going to blow everybody's mind. Well,
3: I think a full loop wouldn't work, but maybe one corkscrew. Would would be a way to? Pull it I was off. think
2: See, what I was thinking is you roll up to, uh, you're directly upside down, drive for a certain distance, whether it's a quarter mile or whatever it yeah. is, and then roll it back down the other way.
3: Okay, that makes so, sense. So you're
2: sustaining that upside down uh, yeah. momentum, I guess, or that that motion instead of just doing a uh, like one time around because it seems like that could almost be done. You know, you've, you could see uh, skateboarders do stuff like that. You can True. see uh, motorcycles do stuff yeah. like that, but to uh, to maintain that, that's the trick is to maintain. Uh, the downforce upside completely upside down yeah. to the track and, and and adhere to the roof. That's what the trick
3: it's is. It's also a very risky, a financially risky endeavor. Oh sure, and, and good luck finding the driver that wants to try this the first time. Let's now, keep in mind that F1 cars are not, you know. At all affordable? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. <laughs> okay, so what's number all right,
2: four? So the, my number four, and probably the last thing that I'll mention in this entire podcast, because uh, we've got to, like you said, we got to break it up into another one. Yeah. Um, I read something recently about our good friend Henry Ford again, and uh, this is all about Model T engine production. And okay. uh, this kind of this kind of brought to mind that man, I think I really think now looking back at this that that Henry, if if no one had really stepped in and said, you know, we gotta we gotta update this to the Model A. We got to start moving on. We got to we got to grow as a company. I really think that Henry Ford would have run that Model T as a production car right up until the 1950s or whenever when he retired. I can't remember the exact date when yeah. he retired, but the I name feel broke. I feel like he would have just maintained, you know, the course as as he was going and would not have changed anything about the Model T because he had a formula that worked, right? Right. All right. So the Model T engine production run, Ben. This this is unbelievable. Um it ran from September 27th, 1908, which is not a big surprise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Model T itself ended production in 1927. However, they continued production on the engine until August 4th, 1941. 41? 1941. And that that, equi- that equals out to exactly 12,000 calendar days. So it's 32 years, 10 months, 9 days. That's how long the uh the production run was. Exactly 12,000 days. Now that sounds planned to me that they knew it that it It sure does. Be um now the specs for that the engine specs for that entire run that 32 year almost 32 almost 33 year run uh remained almost completely unchanged for the entire or the entirety of that production run. Um again, so the US um I don't know, about 19 years was the run of the Model T, maybe a little bit shorter, from 1908 to 27. Um But the engine, again, I mean, i, I it, there was uh, an industrial and military market and marine market, I guess, that, that mm-hmm. fueled the need for this. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just Ford being crazy Ford. <laughs> it was Ford, um, you know, actually filling a need uh, until 1941. But I had no idea that it went all the way until the early 1940s. And, again, this odd production thing, this, this 12,000 days thing, that is so bizarre to me. I don't. I don't know why that that stood out as a sore thumb, but it's a it's a strange figure.
3: Well, maybe they decided on that partway through. You know, maybe. Uh, maybe they were on eleven thousand something.
2: I, I think so. I think we're going to end production here, but let's just uh, tell you what. You know, what'd be neat is if we stretched it out to exactly twelve thousand mm-hmm. days, and then we can use that in our marketing or whatever. But um, I don't really re- recall reading that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, that that it was produced until. I mean, so, the again, the Model T, 1908 to 1927. The Model T engine, 1908 to 1941. That's odd.
3: That is very odd. Now, I've got something here that I think is intriguing. This, I wanted to save this for the end of our podcast. I apologize because I believe listeners sent this to us and I didn't grab the name. I will bring this up in our next episode. Uh, guess who is sponsoring a new uh, land speed attempt. Hmm. A new land speed attempt. Ooh. Would it be, uh, is it Bugatti? Uh, it is Rolls-Royce. No. Yep. Rolls- Rolls-Royce Royce. is sponsoring a 1,000-mile-per-hour Bloodhound SSC project. No kidding. Yep. Uh, they're going to support the project, and they see it as an educational program, Um And, of course, a real life land speed record attempt, uh, the break the barrier there, the 1,000 mph barrier. So,
2: we've talked about, uh, the Bloodhound in the past, I know, because we talked about the Thrust SSC, Mm -hmm. and that was such a cool thing to watch. But,
3: uh, man, so Rolls Royce is throwing their name behind the, the Bloodhound. Yeah, they're gonna give them, uh, an EJ-200 engine uh, that's from a Eurofighter Typhoon. And then it's also going to have a Cosworth F1 engine driving the rocket oxidizer pump. Together, this generates, wait for it, Scott, 135 Thousand equivalent horsepower. Oh my gosh! So that's 180 times uh, an F1 car. 135,000 horsepower. Yes, that's incredible. Yeah, you know, that's equivalent. This, this sounds so
2: cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna love watching this thing, even in uh, test runs. You know, it's mm-hmm. gonna be really cool to watch.
3: And so they're hoping to break. You know, it's weird. They're trying to break two barriers. They want to break the uh, 763 mph set by the Thrust uh, mm-hmm. in '97, and they want to break the one thousand MPH they're that gonna, has just never happened. They're gonna top one thousand miles per hour on the ground. They hope they will. I I don't know. That's oh,
2: boy. I, I feel like we need to investigate what these wheels are going to be made out of. Because remember there are some crazy materials that, yeah. were, that made the wheels of the other vehicles and uh there's a lot of really strange rules that go into this. Like they have to make sure that the wheels stay on the ground. They they walk the entire track. Yes. Because if it's actually a low flying airplane it doesn't make the. Doesn't, uh, it's not It has to be connected to the ground through the wheels. So there's always mm-hmm. there's got to be a tire track that goes the entire length of the run. Um, man, there's there's Which so is, many yeah. so many cool rules about this thing too, and it's just a. Uh, it'd be neat to be able to go see that run being made.
3: Well, um, all we have to do is travel to, I believe it's Coxkin Pond. Uh, I may not be pronouncing that correctly in South Africa. The car's going to be in the desert. They're going to check it out there. It's going to be two miles wide, 12 miles long, and perfectly flat. Unbelievable. Which is still key, you know, just like the salt flats. you got to be perfectly flat. Yeah. yeah. Wide open spaces. And just in like, good
2: condition, like, you know, no rain prior to that and everything. So this right. is a weather-dependent uh, mm-hmm. record as well. Man, yeah. no side gusts of wind and all that. I mean, it,
3: weather plays a big, big role. And... uh Our listeners have played a big, big role in this and every show, so I want to thank everybody who wrote in. Scott, I'm going to read their names off super quickly. Yeah. If you
2: you didn't hear your name, listen for the next Nuts and Bolts episode.
3: Yes. Uh, From this episode, however... Uh, Yes, from this episode, however, thank you, Scott, we had Gary, Adrian, Luke, Rudy, Richard, Eric, Bruce, Glenn, Simon, John, P.H., Bob, Curtis, Brad, Isaac, Christopher, Mike, Joshua, Richard, Joseph, Kevin, Dallas, Mauricia, George, Tim, Paul, and of course fast Sandy. Uh, thank you guys so much for writing in. I believe I got everybody's name. I may have missed it. If I did, just uh, drop us a line on Facebook, uh, drop us a line on Twitter, let me know so I can thank you in our upcoming episode. Or if you want to write us a letter and see if you get on the air, send us an email. We are carstuff at discovery.com.
0: It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues